You're listening to the Echo Church Podcast. For more information about our church, please visit our website at echowashington.org. The main point, I'm going to set you up. The main point, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes. This is a kind of a book of wisdom written, most people think, by Solomon. Um, and so we've been going through this book and we've been learning a lot of things that draw our hearts and our minds and our souls away from our affections for Christ. Just as that song when we first started, how, that God is jealous for us and he's jealous for us because our hearts are drawn to try to find worship in other things. Like you were created to worship. Like every single human being was created to worship and we worship. The problem is, what are we worshiping? The question is, what are we worshiping? Who are we worshiping? Okay, so this morning we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, and here is the main point. You ready for this? Don't run out the doors, okay? This is the Bible, not me. The main point of today is money is meaningless without Jesus. Money is meaningless without Jesus. You know, in the New Testament, you've probably heard this quoted. You've probably misquoted it. I think I've misquoted it. And I think Peter says, for money is a root of all kinds of evil. But a lot of times we've heard it misquoted, right? That money is the root. And let me tell you what the root of all evil in this world is, is not money. It's not things. It's not stuff. It comes from a different place. It comes from your heart. Your heart, or what Martin Luther called idol factories, that we create idols that we worship. It just so happens that money is such an influence, and it gets us the things that we think will make us happy, that it becomes a root of all kinds of evil. Now, money is a gift. Money, the way that we barter and purchase things, God has given us the, uh, the ability to work. He created an Adam and Eve to work in the garden. Even though it was perfect, they still had a job to do, right? So work was a part of life, and so we have a wage for what we do. So money is not a bad thing. Work is not a bad thing. It's when the pursuit of the work and the money become the only thing. Are you with me? So the main point today, just so I can get it out there, money is pointless without Jesus. But with Jesus, it gives us a whole different perspective. So um, I made a post uh, yesterday um, on Facebook, and I was just asking, because there's, this, there's these terms, right? These cliche words that we use. This, sometimes it might be churchy language. And you've probably heard it. In fact, we, we talk about it a lot. But the question I ask is, what does it mean to be gospel-centered? What is gospel-centered? Have you ever heard that term? And what does it mean? And some of you responded, and I'm just like liking most of them. If I didn't like it, it's because I didn't have servers and have time to like it. Or I thought you were wrong. <laughs> we are trying to be gospel-centered. What does this mean? It means that instead of pursuing Christianity as a means to an end, or pursuing Christianity as a way to get to heaven, that we're pursuing Christ and he's the center of all that we do. Not just a part of what we do, but he's at the center. You have to fight for this. This is why one of the reasons we gather. We gather so that we can help each other fight to make Jesus the center of our lives. That's why we sing songs like Jesus is better. To remind ourselves that, that all the things that are gifts that God gave us are, that, are only that, gifts, not God's. So what does it mean to be gospel-centered? This, this will help transform your life. 
rearrange your priorities, but we have to be intentional about it, so we talk about it. Being gospel-centered is when we understand the gospel, which is Christ died, buried, and raised to life for you and for, for me, that when we center our lives around that good news, then we see the world in a different way. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. There are so many good people in this world that aren't Christians. But guess what? They look just like Christians. Like, there's no difference because they may not go and worship on a Sunday morning, but they're worshiping somewhere. They may not come and give 10% of their income to the church, but they're giving 10% of their income to United Way or other organizations. They're tithing, right? And they may even know their neighbors. They may, may even have dinner with their neighbors and be friendly, but they don't know Christ. And they're not centering their lives on Christ. They're centering, centering their lives on, on everything else. And Christ is just trying to, they're trying to fit him in a pocket, right? This is a lifelong journey for all of us that we try to learn how to center our lives. Why? Because when we center our lives on Jesus, it gives us a purpose in all that we do. It gives you meaning in all that you do. Doing the dishes without Christ is just a meaningless chore that never ends. Right? This too is vanity. It's futile. Right? Like, just buy paper products. Never do dishes again. No, don't do that. Some of you greenies will get upset at me. But if I'm doing the dishes because Christ served me, and so now I'm serving my family by doing the dishes, then it gives me a purpose in doing those dishes. I'm serving my family, but I'm serving the king. When, when you're changing diapers, Where was I at? Um, diapers. Thankfully, I'm pretty sure, I'm not going to say never, because I said that before, and I have six kids. I think I'm past changing diapers. And Christine obviously changed way more than I have. But when Jesus is the center of your life, when you're changing a diaper, you're nurturing that child, you're caring for that child, you have purpose because you're doing it because Jesus served you. And when you were filthy, Jesus changed you, right? Do you see how centering our lives in the gospel, it doesn't mean we don't work hard, it doesn't mean we don't play hard, it just means that all that we do, we're centering our lives on Jesus and seeing the world as Jesus sees the world. I believe that if we saw our world and our community and our neighborhood through the eyes of Jesus more, we would see God working more. That's why this prayer walk could be so important for you. Because as you're walking and you're just praying prayers for things you see in people's yards or their houses, like they have a play set. They're probably, they probably have little kids. Or maybe they're grandparents and they got bought that for their grandkids. You know what, Lord, would you, just, would you just bless their family? But more than that, show them that there's a bigger family to be a part of in Jesus. Right? Like those are kind of the prayers that you can start praying. And when you do this, you, you can see God working. Because we're sending our lives on Jesus. So we've got to get to this point. And so money is one of those things 
that we grab and hold on and we just cannot get enough. And so we're going to look at that today, but don't be freaked out. I wouldn't be loving you well if I wasn't pushing you to center your lives on what's important, what's of first importance, which is Jesus, and putting everything else in its priority. The key idea for today is instead of trying to find satisfaction in money and possessions, which I admit I do, right? Like we do this. And there's a moment when you get that thing, when you buy that thing, when you accomplish that thing, there's a moment where you feel satisfied, but then it goes away. Um, there was a clip of this young kid who was a valedictorian of his school. It was a private Christian school. You may have seen it. It may have went viral. Um, and he's giving his valedictorian speech. And when he found out his junior year that he was in the running for valedictorian, he said he laid waste to everything he was doing and he pursued that with laser focus. And he got it. And he's given his speech. And you can search this. You can go on YouTube and you can look for this up. It's an amazing speech. I'm going to summarize it for you. Because it was good. It was funny. It was engaging. And he was telling his classmates, listen, when I found out I was in the running, I pursued it at the cost of relationships. I pursued it at the cost of things that were more important so that I could stand up here and give you a speech. And he's saying, let me tell you something. The things that matter are that you are in relationship with Jesus first and in relationship with others. It was an amazing speech. And I keep thinking, this is Ecclesiastes, right? This is the pursuit of all these things. But without Christ, they're meaningless. And this young man had the guts to get up there and just tell it how it was. You should look that clip up when you get enough. But here's the thing. He thought when he got the valedictorian, when, he, when they told him, you want it? He said, I felt pretty good about myself. For 15 seconds. And then I thought, what all did I miss out on? And that was so true. I mean, someone so young can understand and grasp this. If we're honest with ourselves, we can grasp that all the things that we long for, the goals and the dreams that we have, that if they're not centered on Christ, man, they at least leave us wanting more. And we're going to find that out in this passage. So, our key idea is instead of trying to find satisfaction in money and possessions, that we find it in Jesus and his gifts. Man, he's good. Okay, so let's, let's read through Ecclesiastes 5, chapter 10, through the rest of this verse, the rest of this, rest of this chapter. And then I'm just going to break down real quick each of these verses. I'm going to try to keep it short, I promise. Um, don't hold me to it. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. He says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? So sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he, and he is... Fought, and he is and he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother, mother's womb, he shall go again. Naked as he came, and shall he take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand? This is also a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. It says, Behold, I have seen... What I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun. 
the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions has power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. That's a gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Okay, so, so we've got this idea that we can work and try to attain all this stuff, but we're missing a big part because one, God can withhold our enjoyment of this, the gifts that he gives us. You ever felt that way? You ever felt like you, you're just, you cannot find joy and happiness in your life no matter what you do? Perhaps it's because our contentment is lying in what we think will bring us joy and not in Christ. I'm learning this lesson. Like as we speak, Yesterday was a really heavy day for Christine and I, and we had some good things in our lives, and it was really heavy upon our hearts. And we're praying for joy, and we're pleading for joy, and we're pleading for peace in our life. And I had to tell her, I was like, Christine, I just want to tell you something, because I know we both have discontentment, and she's already told me this, right? She's telling me, you have discontentment in your heart. You are not, con- will you ever be content? And I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, like, I want that, Right? I want to be content and be thankful. And there's moments when you have that, but they're few and far between. And she was telling me that she also feels this discontentment. And she said, I just thought you had it. <laughs> and now I'm finding out that I'm living with this too. And I told her, I said, and this, as I was preparing for this, as I'm reading this, you see that we can work and we can enjoy, we can eat, drink, and be merry and enjoy the gifts God's given us in all of our life, but he can also withhold it. And that's a challenging thought, isn't it? So I want to break down just a few of these verses just so we can get the idea. Uh, in, verse, in verse 10, he's basically saying you're never going to have enough. You're going to crave more and more and more. It's like MSG and all the things you want, right? MSG is the ingredient they put in chips. That's why you cannot eat just one. You ever try that? Try to eat just one chip. You can't do it. It says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth and his income. This also is, a, is vanity. The pursuit of money is never contingent on how much you have or what tax bracket you fall into. Because the issue is not how much you have. The issue is the heart. It's not about how much you have. You can think, if I just have the house, if I just have the car, if I just have the job, if I just have the income. But when will it ever be enough? It simply won't be, because once you get there, you'll see or crave something more, and you'll try to pursue that. Verse 11, let's move down. When goods increase, check this out, they increase who eat them, and what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? This is talking about, like, when you have money, more money, more problems. It's a rap song. By Big Daddy Papa Weave. Diddy. I don't know. Jay Z. More money, more problems. And what happens when you start acquiring more and more wealth? Do you know what happens? It pulls out the people that want those want that wealth from you. Do you remember the movie Stand By Me? I am not in- endorsing this movie or encouraging this movie. This is one of those movies as a youth minister. When I watched it when I was younger. I probably watched it on Channel 11, and all the cussing was out of it. And so then you show up, you're like, youth group night, we're going to watch Stand By Me, and all the kids show up, and like in the first two minutes, you're like, uh, we're going to watch a different movie. <laughs> there is a lot of swearing in that movie. 
But if you remember that movie, the boys are on this quest. It's like, a, it's like an awesome movie. Like if they just pull the language out, it's awesome because it's about these four buddies, right? Like your guys' age out on this adventure, going down a railroad track, camping out. Like I did this as a, as a teenager. Me and Matt Manhart and Jason Walker and Nathan Walker, we decided, hey, let's go camping. We would shove a 12-foot John boat into Matt Manhart's 10-foot or probably 5-foot Dodge Omni. It's a little square hatchback. I was sitting on the John boat as we drove from Washington to Union to get in the Burbis, and we floated down. And we just would camp out. We would just grab whatever we had. And we didn't grab food. We were going to catch fish, and we were going to cook it and eat it. I had frog legs, like, right out of there, because you're hungry, and it tastes much better when you're hungry. Like, we lived those adventures. There wasn't a pond or a lake I didn't fish in Franklin County. I don't care who owned it. I was on there fishing it, right? Now I'm like, I can't do that. I don't want to go to jail. And the story's about these, these boys forging this relationship, and they're on this adventure, and they're, they, they, they found out there's someone had got hit by the train and got killed, and they're going to go and try and find him. And so this is the whole story. But they're going swimming. My point is they're going swimming in this, like, this bog, this water swampish area. And they get out, and you remember what's attached to them? Leeches. And they're like, ah, and they're pulling them off, you know, and that's all I'm going to say. And here's what happens when you start gaining wealth in the life you live. I mean, people are attracted to that, not because they really care about you, but they care about your stuff too. It's a warning for us. Sometimes it's more of a blessing not to have wealth because you at least are with people that you know really care about you. Okay, so let's move on. Verse 12 says, Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. I do not sleep well. I have not slept well since I've had children. You know why? Because they get scared in the middle of the night and they crawl into our, our bed, Christine and I's bed, and I am like, I try to be super loving and kind. I'm a touch guy, so, you know, I, li I like the, the hugs and stuff. But you know what I get? I get, Christine gets the cuddling. It started with Robbie who's sitting over there. He would sneak in and he would just cuddle with her. And he wouldn't just lay up and down like we would lay, but he would lay sideways. And we had a full-size mattress at the time. And I would get the feet in the back. I'm laying on the side of the bed, spring mattress my parents gave me. It was uncomfortable. I haven't slept good since we've had him. I wouldn't change a thing. But Solomon's talking about this idea that, that, that sweet is the sleep of a labor. Why? Because when you work hard and you're content with what you have, you know that tomorrow you're going to get up and have another day to, to do the same thing. And so you sleep well. But when wealth enters the equation, you start thinking about all the things you have to do and what, what else can you do. And he's saying, man, sleep often evades you. Verse 13 talks about you'll hurt yourself. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. Ever seen the show Hoarders? Are some of you hoarders? Are some of you on that show? Do we need to intervene? Right? The show and, and these people have something mentally going on and they can't get rid of stuff and they buy stuff they don't even need and their room, their houses are full of stuff. And they have to intervene and they have to take all this. I mean, it is torture for these people to see their houses just removed of stuff. And I think sometimes when we hold on to our stuff so much, whether our house is filled or not, 
We think it's ours. And when we do this, when it starts to be removed, it's really difficult to the point where sometimes we actually could hurt those around us or even ourselves. The Bible is clear that the joy, joyful life is the generous life, not the stingy, selfish life. We're generous because God was incredibly generous to us in sending Christ. I'm going to get to this later. This is what I'm ending with. But we learn to be generous because of Jesus, not to hoard it all to ourselves. Verse 14 says, And those riches were lost in a bad venture, and he is a father of a son but has nothing in his hand. You'll never be truly secure. You could wake up tomorrow and have everything taken away. Right? Like, we think when we wake up in the morning, the sun's going to come up, the lights are going to come on when we flip the switch, but you're not guaranteed another breath of your life. This is a gift of God. You'll never be truly secure. And so our hope in that we can just get to a place where our lives are secure and all that we have accomplished, Jesus even talked about this, that the man who filled his barns so full, he says, you fool, you spent all your time filling these barns and tomorrow your life will be demanded of you. Then what will your life's work amount to? Someone else will get it, right? So we'll never be truly secure. I know you're like feeling so encouraged this morning. Verse 15 talks about this. You'll leave it all behind right? No fear. He who has the most toys still dies. Remember these shirts? I never had one. Too expensive. They didn't sell them at Payless or Walmart, so I didn't get one. But friends had them. He who has the most toys dies. He says, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, right? Naked as he came, and shall he take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand? This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to, to him who toils for the wind? Like you cannot grasp enough. You will eventually die one day and you can take nothing with you. Oh, there's a country song. If we have any country fans, you may have heard this song. Um, it's called Trailer Hitch. You know what the line in this song about Trailer Hitch is? <laughs> You never see a hearse with a trailer hitch. You can't take your stuff with you, right? Like, it's a, you should listen to some country. I'm just, if you don't, go listen to the new outlaw country. It's, it's okay, I'm, I'm going to remove that. Just listen to some country. I don't care what you listen to. You'll find some stuff you connect with. Just no bro country. Um, verse 17 talks about you'll be a miserable person. Right? If you're miserable now, you'll be even more miserable. It says, moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger, like stewing. So how do we combat this notion that money will bring us satisfaction? Because it, it certainly feels that way, doesn't it? Like, you, you play the, dr the, the dream game, right? Like, when the Powerball gets to 500 million or however much it was, like, we play the, I've played those dreams with my dad as a kid. You play those dreams. Like, we think of all that we would do with the money if we just want it. Our lives would be so much better and so much more fulfilled. But the truth is, it will never satisfy you. There was a guy in Arkansas. Sorry, Amy. Um, nothing against the state. This is just where he was from. He's probably a legend in Arkansas, and he won one of these big jackpots. Pots. And, and what did he do? He moved to South Beach, Miami, bought a multi-million dollar home in a multi-million dollar community. Bought a Lambo, Robbie, Lambo. He's starting to get into the cars. 
and within months lost it all. I mean, hundreds of millions lost it all. He lost his house because he didn't pay his homeowners association money. Okay, like money is not any guarantee of our happiness. It's the lie that Satan wants us to believe. So what does bring us happiness? I'm going to go back to last week, meaningful relationships. Meaningful relationships are what's going to bring you satisfaction in this life because they're built around, around Christ. The first meaningful relationship we build is with Jesus. It's with him. It's a continual dependence on him. It's a daily discipline to open up the word of God and read it. Like you want to know Jesus? You want to know, like, his handprint is through the whole Bible, not just the New Testament, not just the four Gospels. So you open the Bible and you read it. Can I encourage you to read it daily? Just a verse? Just pull up an app on your phone? Read a verse and just, like, meditate on it, chew on it, think about it. Figure out, like, God, what are you teaching me in this? Where am I at in this? Where have I failed at doing this? And just pray through it. That's how you grow to know Jesus, and he starts changing your life. So your meaningful relationships start with God, but secondly, it starts with each other. Like, I've talked to so many of you, and I love this church. I love that, that I have to tell you to stop talking. It's time for me to talk. <laughs> and you're like, no, I want to talk more. I love that we have these different back backgrounds, but the Lord is uniting us. Why? Not because we do have some things in common, but we don't have everything in common. But why is he uniting us? Because Jesus is in the center of our lives. He is what we have in common. I can pick up with a brother anywhere in the world who is in Christ, and we can connect on a different level than anyone else. I've got buddies who don't know Jesus, and I love them, and I have a good time with them, but we cannot connect in the way in a fellowship of the Spirit that we have. Meaningful relationships are absolutely key to bringing us satisfaction because they're in Christ. We talked a, a week or so ago in, in a Ecclesiastes 4. He talks about like two are better than one, right? Because if you fall down, someone's there to pick you up. Do you remember, do you remember those commercials for the, the alert? And the older lady had fallen down and, help, I've fallen and I can't get back up. So you have to call the EMS, which costs tens of thousands of dollars to come help you get back up. But if you have a friend, guess what? When you fall, they pick you up, right? Like when you're, when you're if you're a survivalist, the way to keep warm is not by, being by yourself, but there's, there is safety and protection because one, you can keep warm. There was a wolf attack in Banff, Alberta, Calgary. Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I read about this. His family was camping. Up in Canada, so just camp in the States, you'll be good. One o'clock in the morning, a wolf had entered into their camp and started attacking their tent. This is a dad, his wife, and they had a couple kids. And he goes and he's like trying to wrestle the wolf and it grabs onto his, his arm and punctured his arm. And then he's screaming. Like I can imagine the screams. I got scared one time when I moved back from Las Vegas doing, uh, doing ministry out there. I moved back to finish college, and I, I, drove, I drove back, and I'm in my apartment that I had secured for my buddy. He was driving back straight through before school started. I left the door unlocked. Three, three levels of apartments. I'm on the very top level. 
I left the door unlocked. So in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I'm sleeping in this apartment with all these other people that I don't know, and my door's unlocked. But I'm not really thinking that. I'm laying in bed, and Brent drove straight through, and I don't even know what time it was, that it was well into the night. He opens the door, and he opens my door to my room, and all I see is this guy going, ah, and <laughs> you want to, I freaked out. Like, if you watch the fail videos of people getting scared, like, my legs were kicking, there's sounds coming out of my mouth I didn't know even existed. Heart rate was up. Like, I imagine this is what this guy was going through, and the guy across the way who was camping heard him, and they came and they, they pushed the wolf off. There's safety in numbers. We're meant to do life together. We have a picture of this in what we call the Trinity. Now, I can't fully explain the Trinity, but we believe in one God with three persons, okay? This was the way it was from eternity. They, the, the, the Trinity, the one true God, Father, Son, and Spirit, lived together in community. He never intended for us to live without each other or without him. That's why he gave Adam a helper. We are better together. So meaningful relationships in the church, not just on Sunday mornings, like when you guys are spending time hanging out together. When we start our Echo families this fall and we start doing life on life together, going to games, talking about the gospel, praying for each other, eating together, like spending our lives together. This was the life that God intended for you and I. We were made for meaningful relationships. You can gain the whole world, right? But who cares if you have no one to share it with? Right? You can have everything you want in this world, but if you have no one to share it with, you're, you're so miserable. So I want to share with you a quick biography. Because as I was reading different commentaries on this text, and I was reading the text itself, um, I came across a guy named John D. Rockefeller. You ever heard of this man? He, if you've watched The Men Who Built America, he's one of the men who built America. He was the man who started Standard Oil, who was a monopoly. They owned 90% of the oil at the time. And then they broke the company up into five different companies because it was an antitrust law with the government. And guess what? It like, nearly doubled or tripled his wealth because he still owned them all. They were just five different companies. And he had other investors come in and the stock rose. This man, when he was 16, moved to Cleveland, Ohio with his family and started working. He got like $16 a week as a bookkeeper, $18 a week. And he kept, he had, a, he had an idea. Here's, here's was his dream. This is his goal in life, to live to be 100, which I don't ever want to live to be 100, but he did. And he wanted to make $200,000 in his life. These were his goals. But he was a religious man. He actually went to a Baptist church in New York, and his mom was very religious, and so he would always go to church. In fact, he never missed a Sunday. He would go to church wherever he was, wherever he was traveling, he would go to a church and he would go. He would go to white churches, black churches, Baptist churches, Methodist churches. He would always go and worship. He was a Sunday school teacher at his church. He led his wife in a Bible study. And for all that you hear, you hear a lot of negative things about this man. And I don't know all of the details, but one reporter asked him, what's the most satisfying million you've ever made? And you know what he said? The next million. And if you only read that, you're like, this man is super selfish, and all he wants is more, more, more. But let me tell you something. He was the richest man this country has ever produced. 900 million, nearly a billion dollars. And in today's economy, he would, he would be the richest man in the world. Do you know how much money this man gave away in his lifetime? More than half. 
$550 million he gave away. He was told by a preacher one time, he says, work hard and gain all you can and work hard to give away all you can. When Jesus told him about planting seeds and sowing seeds and a good measure pressed down so that you can give away, this is what he believed. And he lived it out. He gave the University of Chicago, he started, he gave 80 million. 80 million. Like back in the day, like in the early 1900s, I can't even imagine and fathom a million, let alone 80 million, and in that time. And so for all his insecurities or frailties or things in his life that, that we look at and we're like, man, he failed there. This man gave away nearly half of his wealth, more than half of his wealth. And he never thought twice about it. Why am I sharing that with you? I'm not a John D. Rockefeller defender, apologist. I'm tell him, telling you that to, to kind of to pull this together is when we live gospel-centered lives, we're different than what this world produces. This is not a call to live in poverty. This is not a call not to be pros prosperous. This is a call that our heart's motivations are always centered on who Jesus is. Our relationships with each other matter because we love each other because Jesus loves us and loves each other. Or like, if I wasn't a Christian, why would I get married? Why would I commit to a marriage? Because I'm super selfish. Right? Why, would I, why would I love my kids and give up things for my kids if I wasn't centered on Jesus? If without him, I'm just doing something that's really meaningless. So this is all about our hearts and where it comes from. Now I want to share with you um, this last bit. And we're going to get, this is the gospel for this morning. This is where we're ending. I'm trying to reprioritize, reconstruct our minds and our hearts towards the best in Christ. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says this. Okay, now listen to this. For you know, and this is, I'm not going to lie, this is the section in Corinthians where Paul's talking about being a generous giver. And I'm not, I'm not even going there, like, kind of, but we have to know why we're, we should be generous. So he's telling them about being generous and helping each other. And then he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. This is the condescending love of God. He came down, walked on this earth, put on flesh, the eternal God, king of the universe. This is what he did. If Jesus is doing this, he's, he's our example, but he's our savior. He's always our savior first, but he's also our example in this life. Why? Because his way is always better, right? Right? Like, I've never done something that, that I've read that Jesus did and then done it myself and I'm like, oh, that was dumb. I've done a lot, of, a lot of dumb stuff that Jesus wouldn't have done. I'm like, that was dumb. When we have a chance to bless other people, I never walk away feeling like, that was a waste. Like, when Jesus healed people and he did this hundreds and hundreds of people, when he healed them, he never said, okay, 
Now, what are you going to do for me? The only thing that he said, like I think of the woman, I shared the story that she was brought before Jesus and they wanted to stone her. The only thing he said to her, he says, listen, who stands here to condemn you? He says, neither do I. Now go sin no more. What does that mean to sin no more? It means that we direct our hearts and our aims of our lives towards Jesus in all things. This is what it means to be gospel-centered, that we're centering, we're focusing, we're aiming at Jesus in all things. In our speech, in our thoughts, in our actions, in our attitudes. I love it when I see my kids take care of each other. I try to encourage them in doing that. Because they're kids, right? And kids don't really know how not to be selfish. And when they do it, I want to, I want to tell them, man, didn't that feel good? It feel good to help somebody? Like, man, isn't it cool that Jesus helped us? I, t- I have these conversations with my kids because I want them to see that we do it because God was so generous to us in Jesus. That the king of glory would, would not only enter this world, he could have entered as a 30-year-old man ready to start ministry, right? Like, he could have just come on the scene, no one knows where he came from. But he entered it in the womb of a woman that he created. And he entered as an infant that needed to be cared for. And as a 12-year-old son who obeyed perfectly. <laughs> He's Jesus. We're not. But he shows us a better way. Generosity isn't always financial. Generosity is a way of life. It's how we love and serve. I read a post. I really need to get off all stuff. Like, you've heard it, probably heard that waiters in restaurants hate Sunday afternoons. Do you know why? Because Christians come after church and are terrible people. And I don't really care if my server was good or bad. I don't know what's going on in their life. But if it's not good, I, and I don't got to eat that much. But I want to ask, man, can I pray for you? Have you ever done that <laughs> in a restaurant? <laughs> Someone you don't know? You'd be surprised how God may open those doors. But the reason is, I heard this post and someone was talking about they don't tip. And they listed the reasons and, and I just thought, I'm going to tip. And if I had a lot more wealth, I think, maybe not. Like, I love those, those videos of a guy ordering, like, a pizza, and he gives the guy, like, 500 bucks. Like, the people are, like, blown, like, what? What do you mean? Like, this, no, it's for me? Yeah, it's for you. For real? Like, like that's, that's amazing, right? That you could bless someone in the simplest of way, because I don't know how that's going to help them. They may go waste it, but I don't care. The goal of a Christian is to be generous, not worry about the consequences. We're to love people and point them to Christ. When they see and experience the community of faith that's in here, if people would come and see how you all love on each other and care for each other, they would want to be, I want that. What is that? But it has to be a community that is built. And so we're generous. I'm going to end with this because Jesus was generous to us and he didn't have to be. He didn't have to be. So let's push all our cards in into believing the truth that money will not ever satisfy you. Wealth will never satisfy you. Jesus will. Let's go all in on that.
And then let's understand that, man, to be generous as Jesus was to us, that's, that's the better way. That's the better life. That's the good life. We're going to take communion now. And um, as we do this, this is just going to be a time for you to consider what we just talked about. I would encourage you, it's over there, um, someone can pull the tray off and you can just grab one cup, it's got both the bread and the juice in there. And if you're a follower of Christ, you've confessed to him, like, this is for you, this is for your family. And I'm encouraging you to take it as we worship through this song, talking about Jesus washing away our sin. It's, a, it's so beautiful, isn't it? Like, all of it is washed away. Like, that's how generous he was to us. So let me pray, and as I pray, we'll start worshiping, and I'm going to encourage you to take it. Remind yourselves of the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. Remind yourself, your own heart, what he did for you. This is what we do. So let's pray, and then we'll continue to worship. God, thank you for this small lesson. Lord, that Augustine wrote nearly 2,000 years ago that our hearts won't find their rest until they find their rest in you. Lord, that the cravings we have in this world are just little pictures, little reminders that our cravings should be for you. And so, Lord, this morning, as we commune with you, as we take the bread and the juice and we remind ourselves as we taste it and we eat it, Lord, that you've loved us, that you've saved us, not only for entrance into life in heaven with you, Lord, but that you live with us here and now, that you're teaching us, that you're molding us, that you're shaping us, that you're helping us become like you. And so, Lord, I pray for our church this morning, wherever we find ourselves, the guilt that we may carry, the shame we may carry, the pride and arrogance we may carry, the hurt that we carry, Lord, that we lay it at the foot of the cross. And we would know that in you we are fully known and fully loved. And because of this love, Lord, it changes us. And Lord, we just give you thanks. And I pray this in Jesus' name.